Welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast, live from the porch here at good old Eddie Newman's Casa. Uh, today we were, we were uh, fortunate enough to talk to John Herndon of the band Tortoise. Uh, he's done a ton of other collaborative work in the as far as his music career is concerned. Played with Ray Barbie a bunch. Uh, he, uh, he's played... Pre, uh, previous to, to Tortoise, he was playing in bands like um, Poster Children, and uh, I'm sure there's plenty others in that era too, but more recently he's been focusing on a solo record of his under the pseudonym A Grape Dope, and yeah, he put out a, a couple of singles and music videos that both he and uh, a musical and creative collaborator of his uh, Travis uh, put together, and the animation is really, really sick. It's absolutely worth checking out. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I, I love the singles. Cool, like cleaner, more kind of like traditional vocals, and I would say the like the undercurrent of it is less Radiohead and more like it kind of brings like a more experimental like sample based yeah. kind of approach to it which is really cool i mean that speaks to to kind of the the history of of john herndon as a player in general i mean he the uh you know i i guess maybe the most notorious project that he is associated with is probably tortoise um who were really championed as like like real early examples of uh incorporating programming into their composition and uh i mean they're just this beautiful eclectic mix of musical stylings i mean it'll like touch on jazz it'll touch on you know of course like some some rock influence here and there and then a lot of it is you know that more electronic programming and synth based stuff and it's just uh it's something that you if you hear all these things described as a band sound you would think it might sound like disjointed and and maybe not that cohesive but somehow they can just uh, like i described to john i mean it's this like sprawling musical landscapes that are uh really cohesive despite how wide-ranging they are and uh i mean these guys are considered you know sort of forefathers of that you know for lack of better term post-rock mm -hmm. uh genre um which you know as genres tend to be is maybe not descriptive enough to really even throw around but uh that's kind of the world that they that they get associated with you know their their first records were like 94ish and uh you know they were just kind of hitting on some musical territory that though I think there's a lot of bands that get kind of lumped in with them uh you know going back to that post-rock label, but really Tortoise is a sound all onto their own that, uh, you know, that there's other bands that maybe maybe pair well with, but nothing quite sounds like those guys. And uh, I've had so much fun digging into that catalog over the past week. You know, I was familiar with it, but I wanted to get a little more familiar with it and reached out to uh, our friend who's been on the show, Michael Crawford. He's He's a huge tortoise head, and he kind of came in on the assist there, helping me uh, navigate that 
you know what what might be a worth visiting again as far as their records and stuff um but yeah if you guys aren't familiar please take the time to 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 listen to those records they're incredible and and all of john herndon stuff i mean a grape dope they're putting out a new record uh i i failed to ask him when but i think it's i mean i'm pretty sure it's coming out this year um so keep keep uh keep up with that and you know just uh he's doing a lot of art projects as well um, so there's just a lot to appreciate about this guy. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll let the, the interview speak for itself. I was really happy with how it went. It was a really great conversation. I think you guys will dig it. Yeah. Awesome. You'll enjoy. Make sure to, uh, subscribe if you like it and you haven't subscribed already. And if you ever have a extra few minutes and want to do something kind for us, uh, Leave a review or a rating would be awesome. Yeah, guys. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. I, I, I grew up. I grew up in just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Madison County, in a little area called Spring Creek, and went to Madison High School. Um, but it was like a, um, maybe 45 miles west of Asheville. Gotcha, man. But my folks have a, st- my folks have a store in Asheville um, awesome. called the Earth Guild. Nice. Is that, anyway, is that downtown, I'm, or is it like West Asheville? Yeah. Downtown on Haywood Street. Nice. Yeah, man, that's right in the yeah. thick of it. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Nick, I'm glad to hear you've got uh, some ties to the southeast, man. Because um, I guess, you know, people think of you as such a Chicago guy historically. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's cool to hear that, man. Um, I wanted to say congrats on the on the new A Grape Dope singles. Both of them are sick, man. We were uh, We were watching the music video earlier today, actually. Um, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so for for or at least for the for nod to the peanuts, you did you animate that yourself? A lot of it, and uh, Travis Millard um, has some some animations in there as well. Um, he did most of the like dog animations, like the dog who's yeah who takes a drink and whose mind melts. explodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's his, and and the other kind of dog heads are, are his as well. And he's and that's Travis on vocals. Yeah, we well. were just just talking about his vocals, man. It, it, they sound great. It's such a interesting pairing with the sonic landscape you've built underneath the vocals. It almost has this like Doug Marsh built to spill quality to his vocals that I really enjoy. Um, oh, cool. But yeah, man, the the whole project. So this is, I mean, you're. I know you've got. A little of you know you've been doing a grape dope here and uh you know for since early on in the two thousands but this is the first the first full length right that's about to come out it is yeah nice. yes yeah. when when did you first start uh digging into that project meaning the uh the new LP um it was probably started a couple of years ago actually um and started in uh yeah probably 2000 late 2017 18 early 2018 um 
my, my friend Aaron Espinoza, who uh, was working, who who does the, uh, the who curates the series for the, the label Danger Bird Records. Um, he curates the Who Is Arthur King, the Arthur King Presents series. Oh, okay. Of kind of more experimental side of of the label, and asked if I wanted to make a record for the series. So this is this is my friend Aaron's. It's his fault that it's coming out. <laughs> well, I'm glad we've got him to blame, man, because I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, um, we have him to blame. <laughs> and, to, and to thank. And yeah, to thank. Right. I thank, thank him <laughs> one billion times uh, for the opportunity. Well, that's, that's cool, man. To make, I, to make I a record. That, that was uh, part of a, a bigger series. I mean, I, I knew that the the title Arthur King presents. I didn't know if that was just a, just what you wanted to name this project. I didn't know there was a, a history to it like that. That's cool, man. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, Randy Randall put out a record uh, recently um, on the label. Um, Tim Rattilli from, uh, from California um, did a record. And I, I, I think there, there are, a number of releases. Also, Aaron does uh, a project called Arthur King, and they put out their records as well as um, trying, like doing gal- gallery shows and installations and different kinds of things like that. So nice, man. Well, we'll definitely look into that more, man. I appreciate you sharing it with me. Um, but yeah, I, w- I wanted to pick your brain a little bit, man. I, it seems like, uh, you know, obviously when it comes to what instruments you, you know, you have tackled in life, you know, you kind of touch on everything, but it also seems like, you know, you've got a pretty rich history of visual art as well. So I was kind of curious which one of those, you know, whether it was visual art or music that piqued your curiosity first when you were younger. Mm, hmm, that's a good that's a good one. Um, I'm not sure. They both were pretty early on, um, but I, I guess I remember really drawing a lot before. Before I was like, oh, I'm a I'm a drummer, too, or whatever. Because um, I, I I was a big like Marvel comics fan when I was a kid. Um, I was living in, actually, I, I lived in Auburndale in, in Boston, um, and all the kids in my school and I would just collect, like, you know, X-Men and Fantastic Four or whatever, and we would always just be drawing, like, the thing or whatever, Mr. Fantastic, right. <laughs> in class or whatever, and just showing them to each other. And so, yeah, um, and then drums kind of came later. My folks moved from Boston to North Carolina in 1976. And, uh, and I don't know, we, we had, we had the space when we moved, there was a barn that had like a loft and I was able to put drums in there and winter was pretty mild. So only a couple months out of the year that I couldn't have them in the barn and just play all the time. So that's just that's an incredible situation to find yourself in as a kid wanting to make some racket, man. Yeah, for sure. I, I was very lucky in that, that respect, for sure. 
So if you're living in, in North Carolina and, and have this barn at your disposal, is that uh, was there some barnyard animals around in the mix too? Or was it just you and the family out there in the woods? Uh, it was um, primarily just me and the family. Um, but my folks kept chickens and we had guinea hens, um, a couple cows, some pigs. Nice. Um, some, sometimes there were some horses on the property. Um, and, but they, they usually, no, I guess, I guess my folks never owned horses, but their friends kept horses on a pasture that we had. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a commune situation that I moved down to Carolina, uh, with, um, okay. so my folks just wanted to grow vegetables and do a weird mail order business. Not weird at all, I guess, just craft supplies and farming, communal living. Man, that sounds pretty uh, idyllic in a lot of ways, um, especially as a kid just wanting to be able to you know, stretch your legs and explore. And I mean, I feel like there's a lot to keep you entertained with when – in that kind of scenario, you know? Yeah, a lot of woods. Yeah, plenty of places to roam <laughs> and run around with friends and whatnot. A lot of woods to run around, and that was super fun. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody looks back on their childhood and, and hopefully finds those kind of memories to lean into, you know? Uh, that's some formative times when you're just kind of screwing around in the woods with your friends, running around wreaking havoc, you know? <laughs> yeah well that's cool man um so were you in north carolina all the way through you know high school years and everything is that what you're saying you know my my mom and dad split up and my dad moved to los angeles um and so for my senior year of high school i i i uh i lived in la i went from uh, and that was like 83 84 was I that, graduated in '84 out was here. Some culture shock for you, man. Switching from, you know, rural North Carolina to straight to LA. Well, um, uh, yes, I, I was, I, I, but it was great. It was really fun, um, and uh, you know, like hardcore punk rock was fully full steam ahead so i got to see a lot of punk shows here um and a lot of skateboarding um and it was great um i'm and then i pretty much moved to chicago uh the the winter after i graduated high school in january of 85 moved to chicago and then i was there just lived there for like 28 years until I came out here. Wow. So uh, when you were still in North Carolina, had you already, uh, you know, formed your first bands or were you mostly, you know, noodling at home? Where where was your musical path at prior to you hitting the road for Los Angeles for your senior year? You know, I my, my folks and were involved with like a sort of community of people 
who were a lot of, there was a lot of music there was a lot of old timey music a lot of sort of like Appalachian folk music but then a lot of just sort of like hippie jams and whatever there was just always music at there was potlucks every sunday and always a music jam and so some friends of my folks started a band kind of covers and played for a few years and they were all you know my folks age really um whatever 20 years older than me um and just playing at bars and and like uh you know um hotels for, for weddings and just kind of gigging covers band and something happened to their drummer and and when I was like I guess around 16 and they asked me if I wanted to play in the covers band so I, I started playing just shows um and playing 60s and 70s like rock covers or early or or not whatever early like whatever you know 11th 10th 11th grade something like that can you and remember any of that, that any of the jams you were doing at the time any like particular songs you remember you guys hitting pretty often um we did uh um smoke gets in your eyes a sort of ballady, sort of fifties ballad tune. That was super fun. Um, we did like a like summertime blues. Um, a couple Les Paul and Mary Ford tunes. Um, uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky. <laughs> you know, I don't. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, man. Uh, it sounds like that's a pretty unique mix man you weren't doing the exact same songs that you know you would have expected people to be doing at the time yeah it was uh it was it was it was a really cool fun learning situation and just like how to perform a show you know and and like whatever that was really great experience um and then not not much um playing with a little bit of jamming with people sort of my, my own age, but never really formed a band until I moved to Chicago and then and then joined a bunch of bands. I guess Tortoise was really the first band that I was ever like joined from the very beginning or something. Right, right. Um, yeah, man, I, I kind of went into the the pre-Tortoise rabbit hole a little bit in, in the days leading up to this and... uh Man, I I was somehow not familiar with Poster Children, which I know I think you did. You only play on one record with them. Yeah, and that Tool of the Man record. Man, that project is fucking sick. I like, I don't know how they are great. I don't know how They're it awesome slipped band. by me, man. It, it's like a little bit of everything that I love. So, uh, thank you yeah. for for giving me a reason to discover that, man. Oh, cool, man. I really love the record Daisy Chain Reaction with Bob Rising on drums. He's just such a smoking, smoking drummer. Yeah, yeah. And, man, Rick, Rick, I don't know, Rick and Rose and Jim, they're all just great, really angular, cool, rhythmic, driving jams. Yeah, that's that's the thing that stands out, right? Like, the the vocals are super, like, hooky, but yeah. uh, what's going on musically, it's, I mean, they're, 
there's some really yeah. interesting, especially like you're saying, like the rhythm section is just taking you places, and then to throw that hook on top is just like sweetening the deal even more. You know, it's great. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah, they're they're a great band. Um, and I I played I played with with them for a couple of years, and but sort of right around the time that Poster Children. I joined Poster Children. Tortoise was starting to to play and record, and we were thinking about trying to have a go at being a band and play some shows. And and so I I really loved being on on tour with Poster Children. That the 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 amount that they wanted to work. W- wouldn't have allowed me to really be involved with with being in tortoise and and I, when when Doug and John and and Ken Brown and I all started playing together, I, I was like, this is what I want to do. These like are my great friends, and I just want to do this music. So, well, the the beautiful thing about a project like Tortoise is, I mean, it's just seems kind of impossible to pigeonhole yourself with a project like that because you've got this like, you know, so many creative forces coming together who are all willing to nobody's like, no, I, I'm the drummer, you can't touch the drums. There's like everybody can it just seems like like almost like you were saying about that communal experience before. It seems kinda of in the same vein of like everybody is creating like these uh, sprawling sonic landscapes together and it's not about uh, dedicated roles so much as it's dedicated agenda kind of which is really neat and uh, I mean you know from record to record early on you guys were I mean you're just touching on so much musical ground there I mean was there was there ever like I mean what what were you guys what kind of made is that where that came from did you guys want to uh i guess not be a a definable band <laughs> or what where did that that sort of inspiration come from to be so eclectic in your styles um i think it was more about pursuing music that all of us were interested in that we hadn't ever tried to to tackle for one reason or another and so so the sort of the it was initially the four of us and then and then and then Dave Paho joined for a while and then Jeff Parker and and, and Dan Pitney was in super early uh so it was it was the five of us, Dan, Ken, John, and Doug and I. And it was really, I think, more than an agenda to make music that was hard to classify. Or more, it was like, let's play this weird music that we all want to do and, and have it done and see if we can do it. Um and, and play music in a different way than we had before. Right. And, and, you know, like embrace the influences of more 
experimental or le- less on the rock, less on the sort of like loud grinding guitars and more like let's hear what other sa- sounds and and that we can bring to the bring to the front of the mix. Right, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a huge part of it, right? Is what instrument is kind of carrying the groove at any particular time? It's it's not really super guitar focused all the time for sure. I mean, the the initial concept of the band was let's have a double rhythm section. So Ken and Doug both played bass and John and I primarily played drums. But then like uh John had all this extensive synthesizer knowledge um, and and percussion percussive knowledge uh, and there there was a a vibraphone for sale on the wall like I saw a flyer on the wall of the at the coffee shop and it was vibraphone for sale so for like four hundred bucks so I was like let's get that. <laughs> oh yeah that's a steal and I, was like, I was like 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 I don't know how to play this but the punk rock thing to do is start a band and then you learn the instrument by right, starting right. a band right dude that's been so, my MO I was like for, we could do that with it yeah that's my that MO for phone. every creative pursuit man <laughs> everything I've done yeah. I figured it out after yeah. that I mean this podcast included we just kind of jumped right in when we first started and you know, you, you'll figure out how to do it in time, you know? Yeah, yeah, you just sort of figure out, okay, this this works, I can do this, and then you gather whatever other information you need along the way to make it be more expressive for yourself or whatever. Totally. I mean, I think that uh, that limited experience and knowledge with an instrument from when you first started using it to actually craft songs with is going to, I mean it's going to have a huge influence on your style at that in- instrument, you know, because you're, there's probably going to be some things that maybe you're not doing like traditionally or like textbook ways of getting to a, you know, a certain end goal with that instrument. Uh, it might not be technically right or whatever, but it, it kind of def- can help define your sound a little bit, your weird approach to whatever instrument, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, Totally. Uh, yeah, I love that you guys were so ambitious with with uh, what kind of musical direction you would take the project with so so early on. Um, I know that you know over time you guys kind of got linked in with the you know the art world a lot and playing kind of non traditional spaces for a uh, for a band of you know that is you know you might be the only one of the only projects of that style that would be in you know said various art museum or whatever but early on were you guys doing some of those sort of more art space shows in the mix with rock clubs too or was it kind of gradual that you entered that world um it was it was it was sort of i i think in europe for sure there was more of, of that happening we had a a booking agent who, you know, sort of actively sought out um, alternative spaces 
for us to play. Um, so we were we were getting into some museums and some other weird spaces um, there more often than here. Um, so it's it's been a little bit of what we do, but primarily we we're going and playing clubs and stuff, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I bet those those early days, if you you know you know before you guys had a little more uh, you know revenue to put towards tour life, uh, I would imagine trying to navigate getting those huge instruments, vibraphones, marimbas, everything around to rock clubs. I mean, you got any horror stories of travel situations trying to accommodate your own gear? Uh, like every night is just a horror show. <laughs> the load in and load out is just, I mean, it's been, you know, whatever. The the gear has, like, grown and shrunk and grown and shrunk. Mostly it's shrunk now, like, because I, I think at a certain point we were like, you know, how can we make, you know, a, a Rhodes and a marimba and, a and you know, uh, whatever synths and everything that we have that, are our, our big uh, fit into a suitcase. What what can we do? So, yeah, um, with modern keyboards, man, it's probably helping out. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was we just carried so much crap around up and downstairs so so long for so, and you know, the early early days were just you're playing. We were playing every night for like six weeks or whatever. And we never had a road crew. So we were always just lugging everything ourselves and setting it up and, and trying to squeeze on tiny stages and sometimes setting up like half in the audience and half on stage because <laughs> we had all these instruments that like, you know, we used on one song or whatever, but it takes up half the stage. Right, right. And you probably got some drunk guy. Messing around with your yeah, microphone like, in the crowd. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah, I can only imagine how, how wild that was. And so so when you guys are hitting overseas around that time, like I know uh just from you know, friends who are kinda you know, uh traveling internationally playing music that that's a big thing for uh you know, like there's those backlining companies that'll you know, you basically tell them preferences of fender hot rod or my, my B choice is this. Does that even right. is that even an option for you guys? Because they probably don't have an option A for a marimba on on hold for you. You guys, I mean, are you guys having to navigate getting your own gear over there, or do you have friends who can help that, out with that? You know, we we always rent a vibraphone, and then most mostly like two drum kits, and then uh, like uh, amps and that kind of stuff, and we bring. Um, you know, like that we have a most of the synth stuff world lives in a flight case that's like a, a huge sort of pedal board case, mm-hmm. and it's all just on one. Like uh, the the top comes off, and then there's um, the the sampler and some other various synth engines going, um, and then we have a. Um, like a MIDI 
mallet instrument um, that was de- designed by Bukula called the Marimba Lumina. And we used that with, we sampled our Marimba at John's studio and, um, and then just put, we put that into a sample bank. And so now if we have songs that use a marimba, marimba was difficult to, to get volume wise loud enough, even in front of house anyway, because such a quiet acoustic instrument and we just got louder and louder as a rock band or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you got two drum kits behind it, it's easy for that to get lost in the mix. Sure. So yeah, so now we we trigger marimba sounds, and and other, and now it's cool because we can trigger other sampled sounds from from that source too. So yeah, that's a game changer for sure. Yeah, nice man. Uh, so uh, you know, I was talking to Ray. He he and I have uh, had a lot of long winded chats about keyboard nerdism and whatnot on and off mic. Oh, cool, but. Uh, <laughs> I know he used oh, nice. that, that MS-20 a ton on that the tiara for computer record that you collaborated with him on. Uh, when you yeah. ever, with as far as that record is concerned, I mean, I, I know that you're you're drumming on the whole record, but were you you were were you having a hand in sort of the the keyboard and and the and programming side of it as well? Um, I, I think like two, I'm, I I forget now, but two or three songs on the record were uh, sort of reworkings of other versions of material recorded for the record as well. And I I just sort of chopped them up and added and fucked with them in my, in my, in my basement here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so a little bit, but most, most, I mean, mostly I played drums on it, but then, but then they, they asked me to do a couple reworkings. Um, so I, I did add some, some melodic stuff, but I, I, I don't even actually remember what. <laughs> well, I love the record, man. I was a little late to discovering Thanks. it. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of everything ray does but somehow that one slipped by me when yeah. it first came out but uh, a few months back i discovered it and have been kind of wearing it out man it's a great one top to bottom oh cool um that's awesome yeah man uh ray actually just contributed we're putting out this compilation tomorrow actually that's a a bunch of different artists covering different guests of the show um and some of the guests have contributed songs as well so ray and Chuck Trees and their friend Rachel Ann Rainwater recorded a a cover of Taking Away the Fire by Dose and it's he's definitely like leaning into the the Korg MS twenty again and that thing just sounds incredible, man. It's got such nice warm yeah. tone. I mean, it's hard to find an analog synth in that price range that's gonna get that much done for you, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I love the sound the sound of that chord. I've got like a a micro chord, and that's that's a really utilitarian synth, sort of built for to appeal to everyone in a in a really good price range. And it's a little, you know, there's a lot of sort of like 
steps to to get into the to editing, but man, that synth sounds great too. Yeah, man, there's a lot of stuff that you know in that kind of four to five hundred range. It's pretty solid, man. Like I I bought a <clears throat> just a classic, you know, one of the modern Juno Roland keyboards a year or so ago. Yeah. and I mean it's like a yeah simple little workstation, man. But it can get so much done to be, uh, you know, definitely an Econo keyboard. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I've, I've got my eyes on trying to get like a, a 303 clone at some point. There's so many people making them now, but Banger has one that's like 175 bucks or something. What? That's crazy. Yeah. For like a 303 clone. And I, I think it is just the same machine as the Roland. Oh, really? Which is, yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think I might have to take that, that <coughs> plunge into into the world of analog sense here soon, man. I, I, I've <laughs> kind of been, a lot of times, what I gravitate towards on keyboards, like a little more polyphonic, so like, you know, and like piano and that mm-hmm. kind of sounds, you know. So I bought this, mm-hmm. they make this Vox Continental, but not, not like the old combo organs, even though it's the same mm-hmm. name, it's kind of weird, but they're these workstations that got like really great uh, piano, organ, synth, uh, just cool. random keys and whatnot. But you can mix, instead of just doing like a, you know, like a, a keyboard split, you can, there's individual volumes for different sounds, so you can play a chord that's just a piano and then, gradually feed it into a synth and it's it's kind of fun man you can really get creative with it but uh, uh i haven't that haven't taken cool. that plunge into into analog just cause it's it's a rabbit hole i know a friend of mine's kind of got me hooked with this uh he's got one of those moog grandmothers and yeah it's a lot of fun to play with it's like almost <clears throat> a, it's like i mean that's like a homework assignment in itself you know but one that i would have fun with for sure yeah, I say go go deep. Yeah, I'm ready for it, man. Especially now, <laughs> now's the time, right? We're all we're all stuck at home, so might as well dig into a new new instrument, you know. Yeah, um do you uh you know the the there's a great store called Perfect Circuit out here um that I that I go to sometimes. Um but their website is is pretty nice to just sort of window shop at um a lot a lot of like uh demo videos and stuff of the gear too it's it's pretty there's so much amazing beautiful weird stuff being made too now it's pretty cool yeah man well thanks for that man i'll definitely check that out um well, man, I know you've you've uh, you've been busy with with the art side of it. I know you and uh, Anti Hero Skateboards did a collab recently. Um, yeah, was that was that? Had That's you enough. done anything as That's far as enough. like graphics for a skateboard prior to that? Or was that your first time that doing my, that? That was my fourth series with oh, cool. Anti Hero. Nice man. Yeah. How that? How yes. that kind of come together? Um, I had some mutual friends of uh julian strangers um i think who just kept who kind of kept showing him artwork of mine and i think uh 
and I don't know, some, somehow it resonated with him and with some friends that knew him, and and so they asked if I would want to do a series, and and then they've been super awesome enough to ask me to do a series like uh, once a year, pretty much wow. for like the last the last four years. Yeah, that's a sweet gig, man. Yeah, so I mean, I've I, it's like those are like my favorite skateboarders, you know. I just I couldn't have asked for a more killer team to to draw for. Right. Yeah. When you when you grew up, were you uh, a bit of a skate rat too? <clears throat> yeah, I I fully grew up sh- shredding nice. every day. Um. But, you know, like at a certain point I was like entering contests and that kind of stuff. And, um, and then kind of quickly realized like, there's no, (laughs) I don't know, just sort of like realize that, uh, that, uh, just, just writing was, was more fun for me. And, and I was, I was never good enough to be like in the competitive world, but very enthusiastic in, right. in hurting myself. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, we we've had a we talked to you know obviously we've had Ray on the show and we've we've talked yeah. to Leah Romero and and Ali Bulala recently and and just talking to all these like just incredible skateboarders. Of course, it like made me yeah. take the skateboard out of the shed and dust it off, put new bearings on it, and quickly reminded myself that I'm not very talented on it, but it's still pretty fun. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. It's I mean, nice I sp- to, it's nice to push around the around the block. Yeah, for sure, man. Super nice to just, just to get your balance back. It's funny how quickly uh, you lose some of that that sense of balance that you had. You know, I mean, even just riding around and confidently ollie and on and off of stuff that doesn't feel like it did yeah. when I did it every day as a kid. You know, I was I spent like forty minutes trying to do a half cab flip unsuccessfully and felt it for the next like two days after, but it was worth it. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the same with me. I my I have a couple kids. My oldest boy is a skateboarder and is way better than I ever was. Um, and uh, but I still roll around sometimes. And I think it's the mind says yes, and the body is just like no. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm I'm not quite to that point. I think it's almost that like my body remembers all the movements, but my mind is a little more scared to eat shit than I used to be. Like, oh uh, right, right. So like a lot of times, like I know exactly how to land this, but I just can't commit to it because I, I used to not care if the board flew out from underneath me, and now I'm like, the last place I want to be is a, you know, an ER right now. Uh, uh, I I. I find it really totally and amazing just to see all these dudes doing the things that they're doing, even on vert and and in pools and stuff, all with no pads. Yeah, and just kind of like I was like, what happened? Like everybody just learned to run shit out, or what? Like, I mean, like I guess nobody you do definitely like, perfect the art of bailing. Like, I mean, there's yeah, a, there's a, a way to do it and increase your chances of surviving it. You know. I th- it's amazing to see just people recovering from shit these days. Oh yeah, it's crazy, man. I love watching. I mean, 
the thing I love about someone like Ray and his style is that he almost makes it, it's like a, like a cross between skateboarding and some form of like interpretive dance. Like he could do more on the flat ground in a, in a parking lot than, than most people can do with like the sickest park, you know? Um, yeah, he's yeah. all about oh flow. He's like his that mellow. I think of Ray as like mellow personified, and it it translates into his skating too. It's like that's what makes me want to get on the board. Just watching him flow around. It's, mm-hmm. it's less the showiness and more so the fluidity that is really yeah. what stands out about his style. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, um, yeah, I'm glad that you guys have crossed paths so much and have had an excuse to create some music together, man. It's a, it's a great combination. Yeah. I, I feel really lucky, um, to have connected with Ray. Um, it's been super great getting to know him and, and getting to play some music with him for sure. Well, uh, so one time I, I went, I, one time I remember going to meet him. Um, I think like, uh, he had to give me something or, Maybe it was like we played a gig and he had some money for me or something. But anyway, I was I had to go and meet somebody downtown, and he he was like, "Oh, I'll I'll, I'll meet you there." And I pulled into the parking lot, and it was like this loading dock, and he was like just dro- like skate skating, and then and and drop, you know, just did like a drop off the loading dock, but like mm-hmm. a popped off the dock, and like and then landed and just just in that super beautiful flow motion but like and just like smiling too <laughs> like yeah. just like just psyched that's like, awesome oh, man yeah. that's this an impressive amazing to like to, to, to roll up to yeah that's awesome man so uh earlier you mentioned that when you when you moved to LA during your senior year you know like that's in the '80s, kind of like right when that hardcore punk scene was really popping off, were you were you kind of tuned into that world of music before you moved to LA, or was it something you kind of started to absorb more in that senior year? I wasn't really exposed to a lot of hardcore in North Carolina. Um, we got little bits of it. the 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 music that I was into was really I guess kind of eclectic rock or whatever, but, but also in, I was into some hard rock and I really, but more, I guess more, it was like, we thought punk rock or the stuff that I was really into were just the few little bits that we could find in down there. So we really loved like the first couple Devo records. Oh, um, God, those are incredible. And, uh, and, you know, my, my dad had gone to New York and came back with a couple cassettes and one was like Blondie's Parallel Lines. And then another was like, uh, Elvis Costello and the Attraction, this year's model. Oh. And then I found like the specials first record at the Rite Aid across the street from the high school that I went to, like sandwiched between like, an Outlaws record and like a um, Andy Gibb record or something. And then there was like the specials record. <laughs> so that 
we were into that stuff. At, at some point, I, I found Jealous Again, uh, the EP by Black Flag. Right. And, uh, and then I was, I was super into that record. The Suicidal Tendencies first record came out, and, and then I thought that had a really great, cool, slashing, weird drum. The drumming on that record is real cool and angular and slashing, and just I thought that was a great, great rhythm section. Um, and then moved to, to Los Angeles, and I was into like metal and new wave and whatever. I just like a nerd. I just loved it. Everything. I loved all music. I loved ACDC, but I also loved like, you know, Alan Holdsworth road games, like fusion record and like miles Nefertiti. And, um, so I was just kind of all over the place. Um, but I say that like going to see a hardcore show, and like seeing um, uh, um, oh man, I'm trying to think of and and seeing like the circle jerks play was really just sort of like, holy shit, what the like it was it was really inspiring oh, um, I'd imagine so on, at that age man you're you're ready to be inspired, you know. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck Biscuits was playing. I never, I never got to see them with a with Lucky, but I, but I did see him with Chuck Chuck Biscuits. Um, nice. And yeah, man, it was it was something to 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 see that. It was really really blew my mind. Well, it seems like uh, what is a definite common thread in, in the bands that stood out to you the most is kind of that rhythm section because I mean, dude, that the rhythm section on Elvis Costello's This Year's Model. I mean, the whole band is just gnarly on that record. I love that record, especially like, but that the drummer and bass player. Uh, trying oh to my think, god! Like, there's a few songs where it's just like mind-boggling like really badass uh, underneath what could otherwise have been a pretty simple approach if they wanted to. They could have gotten away with it, with it doing way less, but it, it's so good. I heard that, yeah, that, that, uh, that that bass player and and Elvis kind of butted heads over the years. But Oh, uh, uh, man. But yeah, that's a great combo. That's probably my favorite in his entire catalog is that record, if I had to say. Yeah, everyone is going for it so hard on that record. I love it. Yeah, I guess is it, I want to say maybe it's like Lipstick Vogue or something where like the drums are just like doing that. Like they, they that keep was, that going the whole totally time. That was totally going on in my head. Before you said that, I, I, was, I was singing like... <laughs> so, but but I, I'm a sucker for that keyboard player because when that riff is doing the... Oh my God, it's so it's yeah, a, so good. It's sick, man. I I could throw that on any time, and it's great. But speaking of, I mean, you know, rhythm sections. You're talking Black Flag, like Bill Stevenson and Kira. That does it for me. I mean, we, uh, we were we were pretty stoked to be able to chat with with Kira on the show when we did. And uh, I mean, I grew up being a big Bill Stevenson fan, so like, I got, I guess you know, 
speaking back to how it was like a little hard for you guys to get your hands on some of that music, I I, I think I was fortunate because I grew up in you know a small town in South Carolina, uh, Georgetown, which is kind of halfway between like Charleston and Myrtle Beach, pretty pretty small okay. town. You might pass through close to Polly's Island yeah. if that ever rings a bell. But like mm-hmm. uh, you know, without having the I had older siblings who were like eleven years older than me who were you know punkers and uh turning me on to that kind of shit real early on which i'm forever grateful for but did you did you have any older siblings that could have possibly you know planted a bug in your ear or older friends um you know i i have an older brother but his musical taste was fairly different than mine. I mean, we had some similar things, uh, but he was kind of into the dead and stuff. Um, and I was more into like whatever, more angular or something music. Um, yeah, I mean, enough, enough respect really, but I, I just haven't really, this, I've been busy checking other stuff out. Right. Yeah. Maybe, so much. maybe, maybe, maybe one day. Yeah, you never um, know, man. It might blow your mind. <laughs> it just might. Um, but that no, I, I I went to started going to high school, and the high school sort of like uh, was where all the kids who went to remote grammar schools were bused to in the county. There was one high school for the county. So, um, and then I just met this kid. This guy Kevin Shelton, um, who ended up riding pro for like Lake Skateboards, Florida company, for a while. He's he's still riding all the time, um, and runs a skate camp, or whatever. Um, and he had some skate ramps in his basement, um, and an eight track player, um, and had like duty now for the future and like x-ray specs record um <laughs> on a track yeah. and he had spray painted all over the walls like you know the bones brigade logo and and you know like he he had made this uh skate gang that we that we started or that he started that i i guess became a member of called cemetery rats and and we were just like skate in his basement on these ramps and um and listen to Devo's record and like slam dance and then skate and <laughs> yeah man I feel like that, that's like a pretty shared experience that a lot of like old skate rats have like I had a similar friend who he had some ramps in his garage and we would just like throw on a little boom box on the corner and play whatever yeah. Buzzcock yeah, CD you know, or something we could get our hands on, you know. Um, that's how that's how kids do. Yeah, man. I think skate culture has a lot to do with, uh, you know, kids like, you know, both of us growing up, getting exposed to some, some music that really sticks with us. You know, I mean, I think that's where I, you know, that's where I first yeah. heard like Gang of Four, that kind of stuff. I don't think I would have heard that in like fifth yeah, grade yeah. if I hadn't been exposed to. I don't even remember what skate video it was, but there's all there was a lot of good like kind of proto punk stuff that you could find, and then 
I mean, because something, I mean, yeah. Gang, Gang of Four blows my mind to this day. Like, the fact, just because it sounds like it could have come out in, you know, like the Strokes era of, like, you know, the 2000s or whatever, just as, as far as the production and, like, the, the like, you know, that, like, kind of choppy, angular, like, aggressive Telecaster sound is real, like, ahead yeah, of its time in a lot of ways. Hugo Hugo Burnham on on the drums on that stuff is no oh, joke either, sure. man. That, that dude is one of my favorites ever. Yeah, what year is that first Gang of Four record? It's like it's it's earlier than you would think for it to be miles ahead of what was going on. But yeah, I love listening to that that uh, anything that's kind of punkish before before the scene was really latched onto it. We were talking to. Have you ever heard of the band The Monks from around 66? Sure. Yeah, we, we, we got to talk to Eddie Shaw from that band. He's one of the last guys still around. Uh, but that's a perfect example of something where you're like, man, what were these guys tuned into in 66 to be to be making these sounds? It's wild. And Yeah, yeah. Like the, the Sonics, too. Like the, oh, the, 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 like that tune, like The Witch. Yeah, or Strychnine. Uh, uh, what's the other? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I love the Sonics. They're great, man. Yeah, that's a, a great example yeah. of a band that was <clears throat> screaming a little early on, if, not, if nothing else. Yeah. That was blowing people's mind, hearing a guy shout like that. I'm sure that they freaked a few people's parents out, to say the least. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Uh, so how are you, uh, are you? Are you thinking outside of the box about how to to promote this new record you're about to put out since not not really sure if there'll be touring in the immediate future yeah i'm i am um i'm trying to figure out how to play it live um and what and what approach to take because you know it was all just put together in the garage by myself um but I don't want to like, I don't want to like start a, a big, like a band, a, right. a big band either. So I'm trying to figure out just like one or two people to see if we can figure out how to put it into some samplers and some sequencers and just have a couple of instruments and, and see if we can make it work uh, more mechanically. Um, uh, so my friend Aaron, who I, I, we were talking about before, um, actually he mixed, mixed the record as well at his studio here at the ship. Um, and, uh, he, he and I have been getting together and chopping up samples and putting them into these boxes and, uh, we were doing that before everything went into crazy world um, and haven't really gotten together in the last couple months, um, really. Um, but we've just recently been talking about trying to figure out a way to get into a studio together um, and figure out a way to have like a sort of tabletop gig with a drum kit and a keyboard or something and, and some drum machines and whatever. And, and 
just maybe just try to figure out how to have a fun, bouncy kind of weird jam jam session with the tunes. Uh, see if we can figure out how to play them, but also like leave room because I, I would only really want to do it if there was room to sort of like open the tunes up and and let them kind of breathe. Right. I don't want to just sort of like push play and and then have everything pre-recorded. That doesn't sound really fun to me. Right. Well, I, I'm wondering if uh, if you might surprise us with some uh, some secret vocal chops and and fill in for for Travis if he if he's not in the you know in the live incarnation of of this of nod to the peanuts. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I I I don't know if he he wants to be doing the live thing or not. Um, he at at this point I'm thinking that he's he probably doesn't want to, but. Um, and I, I will not be singing that song <laughs> for uh, anyone. Well, I, ha- I had to put, put the feeler out there, man. I, I was thinking the same for Ray, man. I bet you that, cause you know, you know, everything he's put out, he has not sung on. So like, oh, I'm kind of yeah. curious. I'm like, I bet you he's got some chops and he's just hadn't, hadn't flexed them yet. But, uh, who knows? Maybe one day. I, I do I do sing on a, a couple of tunes on the record. Oh, cool. You'll hear them um, when, when the record comes out. Um, but I I don't have like I don't have pipes like like Travis. There's no way I can sing that shit. <laughs> yeah, he's digging into it, man. He sounds too good. good. He sounds great. Yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. like instead of trying to approximate somebody else's vibe, maybe you can uh, just kind of flip the script on it a little bit. Just go. And, yeah, and bring in a I, guest you know, vocalist like, or something. I, or I think that that song will be a great instrumental. That's true. Yeah, to play. you could appro- you could kind of a, use a different instrument to do a, a sort of a as not uh, not a pun related to the title of the song, but a nod to the to the vocal melody um, on something else. You know, because it's a super melodic thing that he's adding to it. I think you could use yeah. a synth or something to kind of emulate a similar kind of melody over it. Um, a, a, a theremin. Oh, that would there be cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd have to put a little grit on it, though, right? <laughs> Throw it through a distortion pedal or something, because I feel like he's yeah. got he's got a little bit of a little bit of grit to his vocal delivery, which is really nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, yeah. if 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 this virus shit kind of gets to a place where touring is, you know, something you can do responsibly, I'd I'd be geeking if we could get you down here and. South Carolina, man, we could, uh, I occasionally I, I have a hand in booking some events at the Columbia Museum of Art, which might be a pretty cool spot. They usually have a really good budget I can put towards bands and stuff, so it'd be awesome to, I know that there's a, a lot of Herndon fans around here who would, uh, who'd be right there with me. Stoked to have you come to town. That, that, that would be great. I hope that happens. Yeah, man. Well, dude, it's, it's been awesome talking to you, man. Uh, I'll I'll have to send you, you too, send you this comp. I'd love for you to to hear Ray's track and you know Mike Watt and a few other people contributed who I think you'd be excited to check out. Uh, maybe sometime in the future, if we do another one of these things, we can recruit you in some way to collab. That'd be fun, man. Okay, that sounds great. I, I'd love to. Yeah, keep keep me in the loop. Cool, man. Well. I, I can't wait to hear the rest of the record, man. It was great getting to getting to know you a little bit better and finding out we got some uh we both got some roots in the Carolinas here, man, and 
and both yeah. have a deep appreciation for that 80s punk scene and whatnot, man. But uh, I guess I'll let you go and enjoy the beautiful day, man. But hopefully we'll cross paths here again soon. Yeah, thanks, Dylan, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah, man. Have a good, have a good day. See ya. All right, peace. This has been a Comfort Monk production. 